0: Get the shopping done, wrap the presents, finish out reports at work for the end of the year, send out Christmas cards, make the Christmas dinner menu, cook for Christmas dinner, clean for company, coming for Christmas dinner, get more decorations to keep pace with the neighbors, put decorations up, visit grandma, pick out outfits for Christmas picture, shop for clothes if necessary for said Christmas picture, make plans for the candlelight service, my office party, your office Christmas party, neighborhood Christmas party, should we go to that Christmas party that we always get invited to but never go to, make cookies and goodies, take cookies and goodies to friends, neighbors, and coworkers, get gifts for kids, teachers. Take Christmas picture. Think about what words to post with said Christmas picture on Instagram that will inspire others, encourage Christian friends, and not offend your very non-Christian friend. Look at Christmas picture and plan retake of Christmas picture because one of your kids was picking their nose. Travel, visit family, avoid politics when talking to family, check bank account and credit card statement, make plans for how you'll pay off credit card. Finally, grab a cup of hot cocoa, put your feet up in those new bedroom shoes you got for Christmas because you're old and that's what old people get for Christmas and take a big, long sigh by that fire that you promised you'd get roaring over the holidays no matter what temperature it is because it's Alabama, and who knows. But you did it again, champ. Hallelujah, happy holidays, and merry stinking Christmas. (laughs) It's the most wonderful time of the year. At least it's supposed to be. But it is also the time of the year that is filled with the most extra pressure. It's got so much pressure built into it. Hey friends, my name is Carter McKinnis, and I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop. And I want you to know that I love Christmas. I love this season, but we we can't escape the reality that there's so much added pressure. Family expectations. Um, all the pressures of all the things you have to get done at work before December 31st, all those communal gatherings that we mentioned, these parties that we have to go to and get the right outfits for the parties. And the pressure is mostly manufactured of our own doing because expectations that we've created around getting the right gifts around taking the right picture, about posting the right picture, about going to the right parties, throwing the right parties, we've created this holiday and all these pressures. And and, and all these, these holiday pressures only exacerbate the real pressures that we all feel. Parental pressure. Of parenting from parents. Family pressure, financial pressure, relationship pressure, academic pressure for students, athletic pressure for students, social pressure, media pressure, social media pressures, which are all three very distinct and different kinds of pressure. Career pressure, political pressure. Internal pressure. The book, of Asa, ah, the book of Isaiah was written to a people under extreme and immense pressure, and written as some encouragement, challenge, as the voice of God to their king, Ahaz. Uh, this, uh, this series for the last, for three of the parts four parts of the series. I hope you'll go back and listen. So much of it is written in this season, in this time, to the people Judah. By the time King Ahaz is, is reigns over Judah, the people of God have split into two different kind of nation states. Israel to the north, which is much larger, and Judah to the south, which is much smaller where Jerusalem is. They're both still the people of God, and God sends different prophets to different ones. If you read the, the prophets in the Old Testament, some are sent to speak to Israel. Summer went to speak to Judah. They were under immense pressure from this giant evil empire named Assyria, led by this, this emperor, this ruler named Tiglath-Pileser, and they were ready to pounce on Judah at any minute. Not only that, their brothers and sisters to the north, Israel, had made an alliance with the nation of Aram to try to protect themselves from the Assyrians, and they threatened Judah as well. They were trying to talk them into forming form an alliance, but it was kind of like, you're going to do it, or we're going to try to force you to do it. They were no military match for Aram and Israel combined, and certainly no military match for Assyria. And in the meantime, they had a series of economic pressures facing real tangible problems like Food for people. So as we read this passage and as we think about this this morning, this story, we need to just kind of name the reality of, of our world and maybe what we've experienced that is different than what Judah has experienced. Most of us have probably never lived in fear of an evil giant empire invading our land and taking us captive. And most of us have probably never lived through a real famine, where you didn't know not if you were not only going to eat with where everyone was going to eat. But that does not mean that the pressures that we kind of talked about and laughed about and thought about that we feel aren't real. But again, here's what we know about pressure. Pressure has a weight, doesn't it? It presses down on you. You carry it. That's why when someone relieves a pressure point in their lives, you know, they finally graduate from college. They finally uh, get out of debt. They finally get a job. A team or a coach finally wins a championship, gets over the hump. That, that golfer that's been a great golfer that's never won a major, or that tennis star finally beats their rival. What do we say when that happens? When somebody, they look like the weight of of the world came off their shoulders. Like the pressure was relieved. It finally, boy, he looks like the weight of the world came off his shoulders. She looks like the weight of the world came off their shoulders because pressure has this weight. And I'm going to go out on a limb to just say this morning to everyone that's in this room, to everyone that's tuning in online, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that you're carrying some some pressure weight this morning. Like there's something in your life that kind of is weighing you down. And the holidays often make this worse. Christmas makes the pressure worse. Like if you've got family pressure, it only gets worse when you gather around the table at Christmas. If you've got financial pressure, it only gets worse when you buy some Presence maybe you shouldn't have. If you've got health pressure, it only gets worse when you're trying to travel or trying to see family. The pressure gets worse at Christmas. And by the end of our time today, here's what I hope to show you, is that the original Christmas, the first Christmas, was meant to come and relieve the pressure to take the weight off our shoulders. It actually announced the end of this pressure. So listen how uh, Isaiah points to a day when the pressure will be released, when the weight would be carried and the burden lifted. This prophecy, the last one that we'll look at, this promise of a birth of a Savior, is found in Isaiah chapter 9. It's probably the most famous prophecy about the birth of Jesus. We hear this scripture read often during the holidays. And it starts out in verse 2, but keep in mind, first and foremost, this was a prophecy to Ahaz and Judah, looking at the world around them feeling the pressure of the assyrians feeling the pressure of their brothers and sisters in israel allied with aram this is this is a this is a community of people feeling the weight of the world crushing down on them this is what it says in verse 2 if you got your bibles you will look or you got your app or maybe if you're at home you got your bible if you are in the room please take one of those bibles at the bookshelf if you do not have a hard copy we want to give that to you this is what it says in Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is real. It was a time of deep darkness for Israel, for Judah. There was no hope. Poverty, the threat of war, a king who barely knew which end was up. And they had all began to wonder, and have you ever asked this question, hey God, where are you? Where are you? Do do you hear me? Can you even see me? And the thing I love about this passage is it doesn't sugarcoat their situation. It doesn't say like, it's not as bad as it seems. Now Isaiah says, I get it. There's deep, deep darkness. I get it. Times are not good. I get it. You feel the pressure of the world. But what I love about this is God says, I can see in the dark. And here's what I want you to know that I think, a promise you can cling to in this, whatever you're going through, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how much pressure you feel, I want you to know something. God sees you. God sees you under the weight of whatever it is you're carrying. God sees you with the pressure you're carrying in your family. God sees you in the darkness. God can see in the dark. And there is a promise to Israel that, this, that is a promise for us is that there will come a day when the light will shine. There will come a day when the hurt will end. There will come a day when the pain will end. There will come a day when in your despair and in your darkness a light will shine. Look at me. No matter how dark it is, and you've asked yourself that question, God, where are you? Where is this God that I hear is love? Where is this God who loves me? Here's what I want you to know. No matter how, when you can't see your hand in front of your face because life is so bleak and dark, God sees you. You see, there's going to come a day the light will shine in the darkness. And then listen to how Isaiah goes on. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. You have enlarged the nation. There is a reason they needed to be enlarged. There is a reason they needed to feel big because they were small, like literally compared to this giant empire that was pressing down on them com- compared to the larger to their larger neighbors to the north Israel and Aram they're tiny this little yellow section you can't even hardly see it they're tiny they feel like there's no match and i'm just going to go out on a limb I'm just going to go out a limb that sometimes your enemies feel bigger than you. Sometimes our enemies feel bigger than us, my enemies. You are under the weight, the pressure, and you feel powerless and small. It feels like the weight of the world is crushing down on you. It feels like this addiction is bigger than you. It feels like this anxiety is bigger than you. It feels like the weight of the sin of your past is bigger than you. It feels like hopelessness and despair is bigger than you. It feels like the tension in your marriage is bigger than you. It feels like the problems you've got between your Adult children or between your parents is bigger than you. It feels bigger than you. And I want you to know something. There is a God who wants to shine light into darkness and is going to make you feel bigger if you will just hold on because he is bigger than the weight that you're carrying. Isaiah writes to Judah. There, He says, listen, listen, listen. I know you're little. I know you feel like, I know you like you're doing the math and you're like, okay, we've got like 300 chariots. They've got like 30,000 Okay, we have 400 horses. They have like 100,000. I know you're looking at the numbers. Don't look at the numbers. There's going to come a day, Judah, when you feel big again. There's going to come a day when God will replace your mourning with rejoicing. Friends, there's going to come a day. Some of you are like, man, This has been the worst year. it has been the worst Christmas. There's going to come a day that you will rejoice again. You will rest in the bigness of God. Listen, your worst chapter is not your final chapter. Your worst chapter is not your final chapter. And your worst chapter is not the defining moment of your life. Judah, I know right now, It feels like this is the way things will always be. But your darkest moment, your worst chapter, your smallest feeling is not the defining moment of your life. And then God says, let me illustrate it for you this way. Because they're all going like, I don't know. He says, sure. Let me jog your memory. He says this, for in the day of Midian's defeat. All right, so... What in the world does that mean? The first five books of the Bible are what we call the Torah. They kind of set the stage for God and God's people, for the nation of Israel, for the Hebrew people. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you want to kind of know how the nation comes into being, from Abraham, through all his lineage, through Moses delivering them from Egyptian slavery, it is kind of the birth of the Jewish people. And then the next book after that, Joshua is sort of, Joshua takes the mantle from Moses, leads them into the promised land, into this place where Jerusalem is. where They will, they will live forever, and they will, they will kind of establish themselves. And then there's kind of all these books, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Chronicles, and, and then all the prophets' books. They're dealing with Israel in the time of all their kings. They talk about how David, Saul becomes king, and then David, and then David's son Solomon. But there's this little period in there called a period of the Judges, where they don't really have a king, but they have kind of rulers. Judges were like spiritual leaders and military commanders, not quite political leaders. Different than a king, but they were kind of the person that everybody looked to. And during the time of the Judges, the Midians had oppressed the Hebrews for seven years, and they were a huge, mighty mighty force. The, The Jews were no match for them. God's raised up a judge named Gideon who took a much smaller army and defeated the Midians. Every Jewish person who would have been reading this from Isaiah, every time they heard this come out of his mouth would have known exactly what he was talking about. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. Just like God was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. Just as God Use Gideon to defeat the Midians just as in the day of Midian's defeat. When you were an underdog, when the Vegas odds were stacked against you, when nobody was betting on you at the Bellagio. You were a terrible bet. You were terribly outnumbered. But you remember that day? You remember how God raised up Gideon and you were the underdog and you came out on top because you trusted in me? You remember that just in the day of Midian's defeat. I was faithful then and I'll be faithful now. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them. Midian once burdened you, shattered that yoke. Assyria is now burdening you, I'll shatter that yoke too. And then remember what we said how there's like this weight on our shoulders from pressure? And the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. I'll I'll crush it. Shatter it. And then he says, We're gonna have a bonfire. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. I want you to bring all your fatigues, all your boots, all your helmets, everything you take into battle when this happens. And we're going to have a big bonfire because you know what? The war will be over. The battle will not last forever. Friends, I don't know what you are going through. I don't know what you are experiencing. I don't know what pressure is crushing on you. I don't know what battle you're fighting, but here's what I want you to know. The battle won't last forever. There will come a day when the clothes you're wearing into battle will be fuel for the fire. There will come a day when the battle will finally be over. He's telling Judah, Assyria won't win. Oppression and pressure and war that will one day cease. And this is a promise for you and me because there is a Messiah coming who promises that there will one day be no more wars, no more pain, no more struggle, no more tears, and no more death. The battle that you are fighting will not last forever. You want justice in the world You want justice in a relationship. You want to see justice for the oppressed in the world. There will come a day when justice rolls on like a river and righteousness like an ever-ending stream. The battle will not last forever. I don't know what you're going through. However many of us that are in this room and watching online, that's how many struggles there are among us. We've all got one. We've all got some pressure. Some of you singles, young adults, you're feeling pressure from mom and dad. Some of you teenagers, you're feeling pressure with your grades. Some of you young parents, you're feeling pressure from raising kids. Some of you empty nesters, you're feeling pressure to if you have saved up enough for retirement. Some of you folks struggling with health, you're feeling pressure with health struggles that come with age. It won't last. And the promise was just getting started. Listen to what God speaks through Isaiah. For to us, all of us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. This is an interesting word. It's the only time this word is used in the Bible is these two instances that we'll read in the last verse of our passage. The only time is in these two instances in Isaiah 9. And it's not necessarily a political word. The word in the Hebrew is misra. It means dominion or rule. It comes from the root word of Sarah, which means struggle or tension. It's an an interesting word. It means that where you are struggling, where you are having to exert yourself, where you are feeling pressure, where you have responsibility, where you have dominion and rule. And you know where the number one place you have dominion and rule is? your life your decisions what you choose to do and that's where we feel the pressure right what is the right thing to do with these kids what is the right thing to do with my money what is the right thing to do with my career what is the right major that I should choose what is the right person to marry how many kids should we have what is the right thing to do the place where we feel the tension, the place where we feel the pressure, the place where we have responsibility. And what Isaiah is saying is you don't have to bear it anymore. There is a gift. You can give that struggle. You can give that pressure to this child that is given to all of us. Simply put, Jesus can bear our burdens. Jesus can bear your burdens. Your future, you can put it on his shoulders. Your family, your job, put it on his shoulders. Your money, your career, your health, your relationships, you can put it on his shoulders. Your responsibility, the pressure you feel, you can put it on his shoulders. The worries you have about our community, our society, our world, our country, put it on his shoulders. Jesus can bear our burdens. And then, He says this about this child. And he will be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Not only, boy, you in this good news? Not only can you give him the pressure. Not only can he lift the burden. Not only can he take the weight. But you can know peace. You can have peace. Judah, there will be a time when Assyria is not breathing down your neck. Birmingham, there will be a time when it doesn't feel like anything is breathing down your neck. And then, and then the promise takes a turn. Because every person reading this from Judah would have said, okay, he's talking about freedom from Assyria. He's talking about freedom from war. He's talking about freedom from this oppression we feel. He's feeling like one day we'll have enough food to eat. One day we won't have the threat of war in our land. But then Isaiah takes a turn. Listen to what God speaks to the prophet. And of the greatness of his Government, his dominion, his rule, his authorities, the pressure that he carries, all of that, and of his peace, there will be no end. There would have been some people who read this originally and they would have said, you know, I mean, I guess he's talking about one day there's going to be a son that Ahaz has. And that's when things will end. And you know that happened. Ahaz had a son named Hezekiah. And 2 Kings writes about his son Hezekiah, that there was no king like Hezekiah before or after him in all of Judah. Under Hezekiah's reign, Judah found peace and flourishing. He ruled for 29 years. 29 years of faithfulness. 29 years of obedience to God. 29 years of now peace and flourishing. But human kings don't live forever, do they? And when Hezekiah died, his son Manasseh took over, and what was written about Manasseh was written about just too many of the kings of Judah or Israel. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And back came war, back came famine, back came tension and pressure but this promise wasn't about 29 years of flourishing. This promise is about a king who would reign forever. This promise was about a peace that could last forever. How do we know that? Because Jesus said so himself. Three decades after the very first Christmas, When Jesus first started off in ministry, Matthew, who was one of his disciples, wrote down these words that he heard with his own ears, and he saw this with his own eyes when Jesus proclaimed. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The people. See if you recognize this. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Um, Jesus is saying, as the kids like to say today, I am him. Yeah, you know that prophecy we were just talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm him. And listen to, what this, listen to what Jesus says. So from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, For the kingdom of heaven is near. For Israel, for Judah, for the Hebrew people, Jesus was the fulfillment of a promise to David that his descendant would reign forever. But this was more than about a promise to one man and one family. The gift of the child that we think about every Christmas is a reminder that forever is at work in our finite world. There is a new kingdom At hand, and the eternal Prince of Peace reigns, and the wonderful Counselor comforts. There is a kingdom with justice and righteousness in our midst because Christmas happened, and a baby that came to life in a cattle stall defeated death on Calvary. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father forever and ever and ever. And I believe that this is the promise that God wanted Judah to hear and wanted us to hear through Isaiah's words. There is freedom in the promise of forever. There is freedom in the promise of forever. The pressure won't last forever. The struggle won't last forever. The pain in your knee It won't last forever the pain in your back won't last forever the pain in your neck that has a name it won't last forever the pain in your heart that also has a name it won't last forever The hurt won't last forever, the battle won't last forever, the tension won't last forever, the sleepless nights won't last forever, but there is a mighty God and an everlasting Father that will last forever, forever. So whatever you're struggling with this holiday season, it won't last. That's the promise it won't last Christmas promise that God sees into the darkness and God declared when forever was born in a manger that light will always win over the darkness and when that light finally came into the forefront finally came into the public image in Jerusalem in the form of this man named Jesus he had one message you remember what he said one message repent that was it not a word you use in everyday language right How many you use the word repent this week unless you have toddlers you have to tell them to repent a lot you need to repent to your brother we often mean it to say like to say I'm sorry right or to uh, to or to, to ask for forgiveness Sometimes we say, like, oh, repent means to do a 180. The word repent means to change your mind, to shift your thinking. That was Jesus' message. I want you to shift your thinking. I want you to change the way you think about your sin. Because we believe some lies about our sin. One lie is that we just believe that it's just... A weight that will always carry we can't get away from it it's the burden weighing heaviest on our shoulders and Jesus said I wish you would repent I wish you would change the way you think about that and I wish you would just hand it to me or we believe the lie about our sin that it's not that bad we make excuses about how we feel or what we want to believe or what we want to do. we Every single one of us make excuses about our sin. And Jesus says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to own up to it. I want you to confess it. I want you to name it for what it is. I want you to name disobedience to my word, and then I just want you to do something. Just change the way you think about it and just hand it to me. Oh, but if I do that, I'll be so ashamed. Don't worry about that. Just change the way you think about it. Shift your thinking. Just hand it to me. And I'll carry it. You weren't meant to carry the burden of your sin. And Isaiah reminds us that the government is on his shoulders. The shoulders of the child born in the manger were already broad enough for the sin of the world and for my sin and your sin. There is freedom and the promise of forever. Whatever... You're struggling with whatever tension you're holding, whatever you're holding on to responsibility for, whatever burden you're carrying, would you just hand it to Him and it's just gone? That's the freedom and the promise of forever. That's a mighty God and an everlasting Father, and that's why we call Him. The prince of peace. Because you will never know peace until you let him take whatever's on those shoulders of yours. That's why we unapologetically, unashamedly invite people to follow Jesus. Because that baby in that manger that became a savior on a cross is the only time forever, ever touched this world. And I want you and every person in Birmingham and wherever you're watching all over the world to know the freedom and the promise of forever. That is why this season reminds us that maybe it is the most wonderful time Of the year. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for when forever touched earth. Thank you for forever being born in a manger, forever showing up in a filthy old cattle stall, forever showing up in flesh and bones forever showing up in the cries of a baby in Bethlehem forever showing up in swaddling clothes looking into the eyes of Mary and forever showing up here we put on a good face carrying all the burdens the pressure the tension and at Christmas time we even dress up a little bit more to hide it all the better but Lord we would love to have the freedom forever by handing them to you today and for some of us All of us. Remind us today of the message you gave when the light broke into the world that we would repent. We hand over our sins. We'll stop making excuses. Stop believing they're too big for you to forgive and hand them to you. We're tired of carrying them. Anyway, thank you. God, for being a promise keeper, for sending the child that you promised hundreds of years before and continuing to send your Holy Spirit to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.